Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 45 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on the show today are my two stupendous co-hosts, Miss Tiffany B. Hello. And Dan. Ladies. Thank you all so much for joining us. You know where to find us, but in case you forgot, you can search for us at the League of Nonsensical Gamers on Facebook, shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com, head over to the BGG Guild number 2077 and join our conversations over there, find us on YouTube to check out our live shows or Tiff's board gaming videos, find us on places like Twitter and Instagram as well. Just a quick reminder, if you didn't already know or you haven't been listening, we have a contest going on, the Podcast of Nonsensical Gamers Tagline Contest. Shoot us a tweet or join us in the BGG Guild, give our show a tagline, and you can be entered to win some sweet prizes. All right, everyone, today's show is a good one. We are going to update our top of the stack. We are going to talk about Spieldish Yaris predictions, and we have a listener question that we're going to go ahead and answer. Before we do any of that, though, we are going to talk a little bit about what we've been playing And Tiff, I am excited about the first game on your list. Yeah, me too. I was so excited about it that I bought two copies. What? (laughs) Yep, that's right. I just, it's Dr. Eureka, first of all, um, from Blue Orange Games. It's a puzzle dexterity game, I guess you would call it. So uh, just to explain, if no one knows what it is, you have different, um, you have three test tube type things and three different colored balls inside two of each color and then in the game someone reveals a card that has three test tubes and different combinations of those balls in the test tube and you switch your balls through the tubes back and forth until you match the card and whoever the first one to match uh, gets the card as a point and then the first one to five cards wins the game we played it double version so eight players at a time for board game club that's why i bought two it was great Everybody loves it. Hey, Brandon told me at Umpub that he put our advanced variant in the rule book. However, didn't give us credit for it. Oh, thanks, Brandon. <laughs> Solid. Thank you. That's Brandon. exactly what he said. He's like, "Hey, I put your advanced variant in the rule book, but I didn't give you credit for it." <laughs> I was like, "Thanks, Brandon." What is the advanced variant? What a friend. The advanced variant is because you can't you can't um, let. Oh, you can't let the tusk tube touch the table. Oh crap! You have to we hold need to... them in your hand, like Edward Scissorhands. It. Yeah, yeah. You have to hold them in. You can't put them down on the table to move them around, and it makes it a lot harder. We didn't do that in board game club because it was hard enough <laughs> for the kids. There were balls flying everywhere. Solid. Just what you want from your middle school board game club. Yeah. Uh, so I asked Dan about this because it's at our game store. It's only twenty bucks, and I asked him if it was worth the twenty bucks. And Dan's response was, "Yeah, you'll get about twelve good minutes of fun out of that." Dan, you're no fun. It's not that. I just said. I I just said it's one of those things. Once the novelty wears off, it's like, eh, still fun. Like, I think it's I think it's good for like a solid fifteen to twenty minutes, and then I'm ready to move on. And yeah, it's a great filler. How many of those? 15 minute sessions would you get i think infinite i like it a lot and and i could see myself pulling it out like in between longer games all the time just to break things up a quick dexterity game i do it all the time i love it yeah. i mean how many plays can you get out of riffraff it's the same thing every time once the novelty wears off but for me i've had that for years and it hasn't rubbed off dexterity games are always fun rhino I'm hero da- still fun Still fun. <laughs> All right. So Dr. Eureka is a hit. I, I I may just have to pick it up. Just do it. $20. 20 You'll at least get $20 worth of fun out of it. I can right. tell you that. And That's all I need to know. It's perfect for like convention type thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm just saying I know our group and I know our brothers and we're going to get bored of it after like the first couple plays. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With Stick that in the mud runs Dan, in the family. Come on. I'm just saying, you know it's true. Well, we'll see. All right, Dan, what have you been playing? Uh, what did I play? What did I play? Let's talk Android Mainframe. Uh, this is a game that Matt picked up. It's based off an old game called, I think it's called Bauhaus or something along those lines. But Fantasy Flight picked it up and re-engineered it in their um, Android thing that they do. And this is a game about laying down sticks and creating squares. 
Um, that's basically <laughs> what it is. <laughs> yes. Is that what um, it says on the box, Dan? Pretty much. Uh, yeah, that's. I think that's the description on the box. It says, lay down mm. blue sticks, create blue squares. That's kind of sure bad marketing. Score points. Score points, yeah, <laughs> but not many. Fantasy Flight really dropped the ball on that. Yeah, well, you know, they can't all be Descent-style narratives. All right. Yeah, but um, so this was a game Matt picked up and we played it. Um, he actually reviewed it on the site, nonsensicalgamers.com. Um, so go read uh, his full thoughts on it. And I, I will say that my thoughts kind of agree with Matt's for the most part. Um, this game is, yeah, it's there. It's a fun. This game okay. is yeah. Is your review? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's my review. I'm trying to gather my thoughts on it. It's it's an abstract game. There is zero thematic integration with the Android universe, other than they used art from the Android world. Um, other than that, I felt zero like a hacker or anything along those lines so for those looking for like a rich android universe experience you're not going to find that in this game the game is very um dependent on the cards so what happens is there's these like four action cards that are put out and these action cards you literally just select one and on it is a pattern of how you lay down sticks these little blue sticks because you're trying to create uh, enclosed areas um, around your little hacker token to score points depending on how many uh, squares you've enclosed um, so you're just going to literally on your turn you're going to select one of these cards you're going to look at the pattern you can rotate it certain ways and then you're going to lay down sticks in that pattern and you're going to go back and forth trying to do this it's like that game and Matt pointed out right when we started it's like that game you used to play uh, dots or boxes or whatever you want to call it where you're trying to literally create boxes with your initials in it that's what this game is except you're just trying to create bigger boxes than just one so and these boxes link into the mainframe of a corporation not really it's basically they they go on this black board and they're blue and they make a square so yeah so the cards that are displayed are going to drive what you can do in your turn and they have like special cards that for each hacker that you get like three of them that you can one time use, but they're not that interesting. The The main focus is going to be on those four cards in the, the draw row there. But at, at the end of the day, literally like half the time, like nothing was useful that was out there. So you're just trying to work around what's there. And I don't know, it wasn't the most interesting game I've ever played. I, I didn't hate it. Um, because I do like abstract games, but I, I certainly did not enjoy it enough to like go out and buy it. Um, it's definitely, it, for those listening, I would I would try before you buy. That would be my recommendation. Yeah, I don't know that I can necessarily recommend this game to buy. Um, who is it? Is it um, Brady's mom who's been asking us for our opinions on this on Twitter? Don't buy it. I was kind of disappointed in it. I wasn't necessarily expecting a hugely engrossing Android world game. But I'm so, I have such a low threshold for enjoyment of an Android game. Like, it doesn't take much to really kind of suck me in and get me all excited to play an Android world game or a cyberpunk game. But this game, like you said, it really just, I mean, it's, they slapped Android on it because they own Android. And because it makes a, a tiny bit more sense than Game of Thrones or Star Wars or something like that. You know, it, it really wouldn't fit there. But yeah, you're just kind of laying sticks. Um, you've got the cards. I don't find the individual player powers to really... They are very different in terms of their abilities, for sure. But I don't feel like they really gave you a play style or a personality, which is a shame because I think they missed the boat on that one. I, I don't know. I like abstract games. I think it's cool to have a three or four player abstract game because you don't see those all the time. You know, I primarily revolve around two player abstract games. But I just found the game to fluctuate between kind of completely dry and slow to overly um take that you know there's a there's a huge possibility that this game becomes very backstabby where you move someone and they move you and then you get thrown around and get thrown into a corner and and completely you know you can't set up a long-term strategic play because somebody's going to steal your stuff or they're going to interfere so it misses a lot of the nice abstract notes that I really look for um you know it I don't hate it but you know if I 
if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't buy this game in store. I'd buy it for 15 bucks cheaper online. You know, I just don't think that it's that strong of a title. But, you know, it, it'll stick around. I don't know that it's trade-worthy, but it's just not... I don't know. It just didn't do it for me like I wanted it to. Yep. <laughs> all right, let's talk about a game that I was surprised I enjoyed. Not surprised, because, I, you know, I like a lot of games, but... Oh My Goods was a small box card game. We, I don't know that we've ever fully talked about this game, but it's definitely been mentioned because it's by Dan's favorite designer, Alexander Pfister. And Steve broke this out. We played it on game night at the game store where they're open till midnight. And essentially this is a Euro style hand management press your luck game. It's got a lot of meat to it though, where you are um, creating, generating resources, building an engine through kind of clever, careful card play, and it's got a lot more to it than I was expecting, because it's just a single deck of cards, small box, it's like 15 bucks, um, but it packs a really good Euro experience, I think. I mean, you have some worker placement where you're trying to allocate workers to activate your different buildings that create resources. Those resources can chain and fuel the production of more resources, and you can sell those resources for money and build new buildings. And it's kind of got that Puerto Rico thing where you're trying to race to a certain number of buildings um, and add up your points. So I really enjoyed it, though. I actually bought a copy um, off Cool Stuff the day after. I just got it today. So I'm looking forward to play it some more. Dan, do, have you had any experience two-player with this? Tiff and I played it two-player. Yeah. Was it any Was it any good? How would you guys like it at two-player? Because that's what I'm thinking I'm going to start playing with Kel. Yeah, I think it's fine. It's just a race game. There's no real player interaction. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything that would really stop it from being successful at two. I was just, I was interested. Um, I just, I, th I thought it was a really kind of clever, cleverly made game, and it runs really smooth. I think it's very solid. I haven't bought it, but I think for a Euro experience in that tiny, tiny card box, it's pretty awesome. I agree with your opinion, 100%. Cool. I obviously did, too, because I bought it. I bought it from Lookout Spiel right after Essen. Hipster. Yep, basically. And I got a promo card, so... Uh. Ooh, fancy. What does the promo card do? Like, is it special? Like, do you need it? No, it's not even for Oh My Goods. It's a promo card for Agricola, I think. Oh. Yeah, we'll get out of here. They just got rid of all those cards. It doesn't even matter anymore. <laughs> Exactly. All right, Tiff, what else have you been playing? Well, it was it's kind of the school year's winding down, only three days left. So we had our very last board game club. And in fact, the last couple, the kids have been interested in playing games that they can all participate in. Um, I've mentioned before that this time of year, I don't have as many kids coming to board game clubs. So I have like maybe eight right now. So I've found I've Brought, started bringing party games to school, so we've we've been playing so much code names. I can't even begin to tell you how sick of code names I'm starting to get. It's, I mean, it's still a good game. It's really interesting to see how the kids process everything so much differently from grown ups. So it's it's been fun. I good for. I, I'm surprised that I can have, uh, I have a group of eighth graders, a group of sixth graders that come and they team up separately. So it'll be the sixth graders versus the eighth graders. And you would think that the eighth graders would be significantly better than the sixth graders, but that is not so because sixth graders think like sixth graders and eighth graders think like eighth graders. So it, it all works out. So it's been a, it's been a good one. And uh, we also played concept and they they were amazing at concept. Are all of their codenames clues like butts? For... <laughs> it does get a little immature at times, but no, I I mean I, they're actually pretty clever about things. Yeah, they the the biggest thing for them is that they don't read the whole all of the cards. Yeah, <laughs> but. Once they once they messed up pretty severely a couple of times, we were fine, and it's been it's been fun. And. Uh... How do they go about the code, or not the code names, the concept? Do they actually play by the rules with the point scoring, or do they just kind of free flow it and just have fun guessing? We played by the rules one time, and there were just light bulb tokens everywhere. <laughs> like, they, they did not like dealing with the tokens, and they didn't care about the points. So we ended up just playing, you know, one person tries to make it happen, and if someone can't guess it based on that, then 
two people, you know, we add one person to try to make it more clear. And then we keep adding people until we run out of people to add. Or someone guesses it. Yeah. So that's, I think that's a more fun way to play it because they weren't really interested in winning or doing the tokens. They just wanted to each have their turn to make the concept and, you know, they enjoyed the guessing part. So there was really no point in doing points. Yeah, I've no matter how many times I try it, I never have success teaching the group the actual way to play. It just really kind of kills the fun a little bit. It really know. does. Yeah. But I don't like putting those the limitations and the timer on it. It's just like, you know, play until you're tired of it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's how they played it all the way up until the very end of Board Game Club. They really enjoyed like using those icons creatively and and yeah, I I love seeing how they do things differently because I they're less literal than me, I think. <laughs> well, how how are you feeling as a uh a gamer mama bird now that your eighth graders are moving on? <laughs> well, I it, it's gonna be it was it's a little sad because this year's eighth grade class I was particularly close to, and they've they've been in board game club for since I started it, and they were the impetus for starting it uh, when they were seventh graders or and end of sixth grade. So it is going to be a little sad, but our high school now has a board game club, so That's they have awesome. They have a home. They'll be okay without me. That's excellent. And, you know, we're going to have, I guess, if the show still exists in August, uh, we're going to have to start talking about how to get some elementary school kids into board game club. I'm excited about that. Me and my mom are going to be working at the same school. So we're going to teach some fifth graders some games. It's going to be awesome. That'll be awesome. And we'll run the full gamut of K through 12 gamers. Yes. Send me some ask inept gamer questions. (laughs) (laughs) all right dan you can wake up now come back the code names and concept are finished what else have you been playing i love concept and i like code names too but code names is just oh man i'm tired of playing that game we tried to get dan to play code names after my wedding and he couldn't even do that for me he just (laughs) he was like nope i played that too much and i was like you haven't played that in like six months because ever since last gen con he's been saying i play code names too much i have I've played that game so many times. It's just, well. Hey, Dan, I heard a secret about you. Always. From from the other Dan. Apparently, you've played Dead of Winter like five times with their group. That is false. I've played it twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I hated every minute of it. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to know how much of a curmudgeon you were when you played Dead of Winter with those people. I I try my best. We believe in you, Dan. Because that game sucks. Yeah. All right, tell me about a decent game. Um, let's talk about Hansa Teutonica. Oh, then let's talk about a great game. Yes, this game is phenomenal. Uh, I finally got a chance to play my copy that Matt got me for Christmas this year. Um, this has been raved about from all my Soulless Euro compadres. Um, so I've been itching to get this. It's been in my bag for months, and I just haven't got a chance to play and man was i really pleased with that experience this is true like just smooth streamlined yuri goodness for those who haven't played it basically you are building routes in between cities to establish offices in those cities i don't really know the role you're taking on i apologize the guy on the box looked real stoic so i just kind of pictured myself being him and I just went about my business. You take on the role of a guy writing on paper. Yeah, that sounds according good. to the box. Yeah, um, sitting at his desk. So, yeah, you're trying to build routes in between um, cities to establish offices there, and through that, you're going to get points by having those established offices. You're going to get points for having the longest interconnected routes um, and a couple of other things. But the really really cool thing about the game is something I really like and it's the the kind of um, I don't know what it is I guess I love games where they kind of incrementally reward you for kind of good play and different strategies can kind of come from that um, so with Hansa Teutonica you've got this player board that has five different tracks and each of the tracks controls or kind of limits I would say um, 
various actions and or scoring opportunities in the game. So you start out only being able to take two actions until you kind of escalate up the track and then you could take more actions. And the other one is, you know, gathering little worker dudes. You can only take three to start with until you, um, again, escalate up the track. Then you can start taking five and seven and then all of them kind of thing. So you're, you're going about your business and you're trying to like manipulate the board and score points, but you're also trying to kind of, um, finagle your little player board there which is really cool the game itself was just so smooth like downtime was basically zero i mean well there was great decisions but you always kind of could look at the other players on the other players turn and know what you're going to do to a certain degree um and a backup plan was quick to come up with the actions you know took like literally like 30 seconds to take each person's turn it was great um, I was really surprised by how smooth it just kind of went around the table. So yeah, all in all, there was cubes, there was dry artwork that was brown in nature, there was a stoic dude on the cover. I mean, this was like my board game wet dream. This was so good. I loved it. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. Thank you. I'm, I'm still uncomfortable from the last comment. <laughs> should be used to all that i love the way i make you more uncomfortable than tiff this is kind of this is like a new thing like tiff's just like eh whatever i i've i've grown accustomed to your your comments that's cool can the show now become about making matt feel weird instead of me we can work on it all right cool okay we'll turn a new leaf yeah let's just keep saying things like wet dream that's not that bad. Come on. <laughs> In the grand it's, scheme of things, probably not. It's Hans only bad ago. when Let's you get really back on it. I've said worse. Yeah. Well, that's true. There's a tagline. Paul, <laughs> Dan said worse. <laughs> or, just, ah. I, or we've said worse. We've, said, we've said worse. <laughs> Weirder things have been discussed. Um, Hansa Teutonica was cool. I, I liked it. I think that the player board, the way that it's set up, and that you, you have the option to upgrade... Um, your actions for you know greater efficiency means that the game ramps up really nicely. It's got this, I wouldn't say that it's slow at the beginning, but by the end of the game, it's moving so quickly, it feels slow at the beginning. Like it feels a lot uh, more bogged down. But really, I mean, things move along at the, the beginning, but the end game is just like you can do everything you want. It becomes very kind of race-driven, calculating your best options. I think that to play again, I would do a lot of things differently because I learned about what's worth optimizing and what's not worth optimizing, kind of the order in which to do that. Um, my favorite piece was this bumping mechanic where you're laying pieces down. This is something that I always wish Ticket to, Ticket to Ride would let me do. I could lay like some trains down on a track and then finish it later. That's what this game kind of lets you do. You can start a route and you can finish it later, but your opponents can bump you off and that disrupts your chance of getting that action or that space, but it gives you the benefit of allowing to place additional cubes elsewhere, which is kind of cool because there's this risk reward to slowing someone down. Okay, I want to stop them from going here, but I'm going to let them advance somewhere else, and that's kind of interesting to play around with. gives you a little bit of player interaction. I don't think this game is quite as soulless. Well, the way we played against Steve, it's not as soulless as it could have been because we were... You're pushing you him around, Steve? man. Aww. But uh, yeah, that's how player interaction for me is best. I love when it, like you said, that risk reward of, you know, okay, I'm going to move you, but you're going to get a benefit. I'm getting a benefit. Yours may be slightly greater, but maybe not in the long run. It's, I don't know, like all that decisioning kind of came into play. And then having those specific tracks that were slightly better than the others at certain points because they gave you the upgrades it was just it was really neat yeah it was, it was cool and i think what i'm interested in is one you know learning how to play better and then also uh going to some of the new maps because i got dan a couple extra maps when i got it for him for christmas and you know kind of like power grid just interesting to take a system that you know and maybe one that you've begun to become proficient with and mix it up by changing the board so, which could be, you know, really cool in terms of learning the new layout and learning um, how that works because it is very kind of route dependent, your success in the game. So, um, all in all, a really, a really cool game and one that I think would get a lot faster as we became more proficient with it. I think that our, I mean, our game didn't last that long, but I, I could see us getting better and better 
and it going faster and faster, which is kind of cool. I like that from a Euro. Did you guys say how long it lasted? Did I miss that? Um, Less than 90 minutes. Yeah, I think it was With around. rules, and the rules were, I don't oh. say they were daunting, but they were, um, they were slightly confusing because not knowing how everything interacted with each other was was tough at first but once we got a turn or two in and we saw how the the pieces and the inner workings kind of fleshed out um it was smooth sailing from there and we literally it's flew through it really easy when dan was like reading through the rule book i really had no idea what was going on and i was regretting going first volunteering <laughs> for that because i was like i don't even know where to start but it all started to click a couple rounds in i was like oh this is way easier than the text makes it seem um and it's got that nice Aaliyah. it's not an Aaliyah game but it's got that nice uh, rule book with the reminders on the side so you don't actually have to read through it again you can just I read the refresher that. when you go yeah. back in yeah so i could see it hitting an hour easy you know just kind of briskly play through it in an hour which is good i think you would like it tiff yeah i it's been on my list for a really long time i would love to get it played eventually add it to the origins list okay along with all these top of the stack games yeah, well, I don't think it'll be too hard to get my top of the stack played, but... Yeah. Well, speaking of, let's do it. And Tiff, since you are being so cocky, let's talk about April's top of the stack. <laughs> let's not. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, what you got? You had the Bloody Inn, the King yeah. of Frontier, and Oregon. I did play the King of Frontier. Yeah. I did that. I did that much. Um, Oregon didn't happen. The Bloody End didn't happen. Have I mentioned that I've been kind of busy? It's been the end of the year is the worst. So we've had to cancel board game, like normal board game night, like for a month. So no real games for me. I've played more Hero Quest, though. Solid use of your time. <laughs> so good. <laughs> what happened with this? So I've seen this on um, Instagram. I've seen several different of the people that I follow posting pictures of hero quest what is there was there a news thing that caused this game to resurge all of a sudden i mean not for me my buddy justin has had it for a long time and just wanted to play it and brought it over one night and so we've kind of been playing it like when we're too tired to play real games so you can just like have a beard and kind of like take some turns and not have to really super focus like that's fair yeah so it's good for that but yeah, well, soon we'll be doing that in D&D, Tiff. Yes. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to have you go over your top of the stack for June, and you'll notice that we are skipping May. The reason is things got messed up there somewhere in the middle. We got a little off track, and I'm, I'm going to try to reset the timeline here. We're each going to have, you know, a, a week and a half or so extra of May to filter into our June top of the stack. But let's get back on track by talking about June. So yeah, for June, I'm keeping the bloody in because I'm determined to play it. I've read the rule book several times at this point, and even Kyle has read the rule book and was prepared to teach it, but we had to cancel game night. So it, I, this is just like so close to being played, and I'm I really need to keep it on the top of the stack until I play it. So it's there. I, I've been carrying it around in my car just in case I run into someone who wants to play a game. So if you see me just walking around the streets of Columbus and you want to play Bloody Inn, let me know. Kingsburg, I got in a trade. Finally, after years of having it on my trade list, I got it. So I am ready to play that. And I don't own Quadropolis, but I really want to play it. So I'm hoping that someone will have that at Origins. I happen to know two people who own it. Yeah. Hint, hint. I can teach it. Yeah, I really... the advanced I... version. Sweet. No, Let's... Tiff should start with the basics first. Oh, you don't, sorry. You don't think I can handle Tiff the, the advanced version? Well, it's quick enough. You can play both. Like I'm just hour. kidding. I'm All just right. kidding. Okay. Now, the basic game you want to learn first because then you can kind of see how the buildings kind of intertwine. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Bloody Inn, Kingsburg, and Quadropolis. You're only going to go with three even though you have an extra week? Yeah, well, and the truth is, is I'll play so many games at Origins. I could add more here, but I'm just I'm just because of my track record these last couple months has been pretty abysmal. I'm just going to stay with three. Let's not get greedy. Safe bet. Yeah, that's what All I right. do. Dan, let's go through your top of the stack for April and then tell us what you have on tap for June. So for April, I had Hansa Teutonica. So good. Uh, Quadropolis. Good. And Liberty or Death, the American Revolution tutorial. I, I caveated that with the tutorial because it's a, it's a bear. Um, I played all three. So hooray. 
at least between I mean Hansa Titanico was played in the first week of May so or second week so I don't know if that's cheating since we got off track or what but I've played all of them between recordings so hooray so for June I'm going with 13 days which is the uh, two-player Cuban Missile Crisis game which has been dubbed as Twilight Struggle Light I have a copy of this waiting for me in France when I go there next week, so I'll be bringing that back because it's not yet available in the U.S. and I have no idea when it will be. Um, Aura and Labora, which is a Uwe Rosenberg game that has monks and beer, so I am automatically in. I got this in a trade, which I was very happy about. This is the new edition too, so uh, looking forward to that. Uh, Torres, another game I acquired in a trade. This is the 2000 Spiel des Jahres winner from Kramer and Kiesling. It's basically an abstract game about building little castle things that I'm really looking forward to playing. And because I love Tiff more than Tiff knows, I put the bloody in just Aww. to get her ass in gear. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. We're all friends here. <laughs> Mostly. So I put four this month, but should be pretty reasonable the only one i'm really worried about is or labora because that's a that's like a two-hour game but i'll get it played we can swing it you're going to be able to get a hold of 13 days i have it it's literally oh you already have it, it. i thought you're buying it when you went overseas no i had it delivered so it's waiting for me oh cool okay i will be excited to hear about that one my top of the stack went okay but uh, wasn't super duper because I still have not played a few acres of snow. I still know how to play it. I just, I've been playing games. I just haven't broken it out. Um, so it will actually go on to my June top of the stack, but we'll talk about that in a second. We started Time Stories of Prophecy of Dragons, so I'm going to count that, but we didn't finish it, so it's half counted, I guess. Dan is running off to Europe to Gallivant, so I don't know when we'll get a chance to finish it, but hopefully soon, because Under the Mask is already out. How that happened, I have no idea. We got our timelines mixed up on that one. Uh, Star Wars Rebellion got my one and only play of that in. I'd love to play that some more, so if anybody's looking to play that, let me know. And I played some Guild Ball. Still loving Guild Ball. That is a fantastic game. They just released the Season 2 rules and a new team, uh, but... I want to get that back to the table with Ben in particular, because I know he's looking forward to it. So, June, we're going to keep a few acres of snow on there, because I'm not taking it off until I play it. Uh, another game that we got from a, an Australian publisher called Rule and Make. They That's the publisher's name, not the game's name. They have a game called Entropy that they sent over to us. I believe we're going to be doing a review on that, or at least taking a look at it. So I want to try that out. It's a... I think it's three to six players and you're trying to assemble these timelines like a card simultaneous action selection game looks kind of cool and i threw forbidden stars back on my list because i have not played that enough to justify its awesome price tag and i would like to play it some more because it really is a fantastic minis ameritrash war game and because i love tiff just as much as dan the bloody inn is also on my list and because we're all going to be together in origins we can all play the Bloody Inn together and bury people underneath our floorboards. Look, my, like, slackeriness is bringing us together as a I podcast. Love you love Tiff more fact? fact? Oh, no. How do we prove this? Oh, I like this. I'm basically hugging her through the internet right now. <laughs> all right. But well, I know better than to touch Tiff. That's how much I love her. So I am not hugging her. Mm, that's because you're not me. <laughs> this is getting weird dan and i are gonna sandwich tiff when we see her at origins we're just gonna night at the roxbury i could get down with that <laughs> so that is our top of the stack for april and our top of the stack for uh the upcoming june we'll have an extra week to try to get those done and we are going to go ahead and take a quick break and when we return we're going to talk about our spieldish yars predictions and we have a listener question to answer. So join us for that. All right, everyone, welcome back. It is officially time for us to chat about the Spieldus Yaris and the Kenner Spieldus Yaris. It is almost the award season. Dan, when exactly is that uh, going out? 
I think next week. Next week? Okay. I think it's like the se- second to last or last week of May, usually. Yeah. Okay. So the nominations will be released then. So what we're going to do today is predict some of those nominations. And we'll obviously chat about which ones we think will win when the official ones come out. But uh, let's chat about some of the games that we've played and seen and that we think would be a good qualification. Starting with the Spieldischiaris. I mean, for both of these, the criteria that we're looking at are game concept, you know, originality and playability, the rule structures in terms of clearness and comprehensibility, the layout, looking at the design of it, the box and the board and the rules and things like that, and then also the functionality and the workmanship. These are the different things that the uh, jury looks at when deciding Spieldischiaris, the renowned German gaming award, and let's chat about some of the games that we've seen of late that we think fall into that category. Dan, I'm going to go ahead and start with you. What do you think is uh, going to be on the list? I mean, I've said this before on the podcast, and I said this on Twitter numerous times. Um, Karuba, I think that's my front runner. I, I don't know if it will win, but for me, that's been like an extremely accessible and entertaining game that is easy to teach, easy to learn, and everyone really just has a good time with it that we've played with. So... That is my personal front runner. Um, I also think Code Names is going to get a little bit of love um, because that's just universally loved across the board. I don't think anyone does not like Code Names. Um, and then I went with um, I don't know. I went with I don't know if this is a sneaky pick, but I went with Lanterns, which was released in Germany in March. So a little bit of a tight window but I think this really kind of ticks all the boxes that they're looking for. Um, again, just a smooth, interesting uh, gaming experience that's um, accessible and a good time. And then um, I did, because I always like to, because I can never just pick a few. I went with some honorable mentions because the jury usually gives us some honorable mentions. So I went with uh, another Haba game. I went with Adventureland, the Kramer and Kiesling game. I really like this game. Um, I think I just like Karuba slightly more. New York 1901, which is that kind of ticket-to-ride weight style game. Really pretty. Vincent Dutrait art. Um, I can't remember the designer's name, but he's a designer. And then It's a Chanel LaSalle? Something like that. And then since they seem to like always throw like a goofy card game in, I went with my boy Matthias Kramer, his little P-Mal Flaumann. P-Mal Flaumann. Those are my, my Spiel de Jaris picks. But again, if I had to choose, it'd be Karuba. Even though I wouldn't be shocked if Codenames won. To be honest with you, that game is just that good. Yeah, I mean, I think that Codenames obviously does you know deserves a lot of awards. It just doesn't feel like it fits for me. I don't know why. We figured Concept was in there two years ago. It's not it's true. German enough. You know, games like that. Like, so it's it's not unprecedented that like a party game would be in there. Yeah. I mean, looking at last year's awards, it was Cult Express, Machi Koro, and The Game, which um, Cult, Cult Express ended up winning. I think that, that just the design of it really kind of pushed it over the edge. I am very much in the same boat as you, Dan, looking at those games. I had Karuba, uh, New York 1901, and Adventureland on my list. When I'm reconsidering, because um, Kennerspiel is such a strange beast, it seems like sometimes they tow the line between light Euro and heavy Euro. I almost feel like Adventureland, especially that third scenario, feels very Kennerspiel, but I think that it probably fits better as a regular Spiel with Yaris. Uh, in terms of winner, I probably go with you if it happens to be any of these games. I like Karuba, although Lanterns has just garnered so much praise I wouldn't be surprised if, if it just added SDJ as another accolade because it really is a smart game. I mean, it won Menza. It, it's it's doing really well. Um, so I think and that Menza means it's smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I I think that this is I like this group of games in terms of the ones that stand out, but they always find weird German stuff to throw in there too. So you never know. Um, and Tiff, what are you thinking? Well, I it's funny this year. I feel a little more out of touch with the Spiel des Jahres than I have in the past couple of years. But, I mean, when I saw your guys' list, I felt better because I agree with everything that you guys just said. So, Karuba, I think, just because the the rules are so 
simple and easy to teach and it's just so elegant and generally like well liked by anyone that i think that's a very strong candidate lanterns is a good pick i think but i also added potion explosion to uh the mix in 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 my picks just because you know they picked cult express last year because i i'm assuming just because of how that looked on the table and kind of the 3d coolness of it and potion explosion has that cool marble dispenser thing and I think that's pretty neat, and and it's so it's like an original idea. We don't have any other board games that do that. So, uh, I mean, the game isn't one hundred percent like the most like replayable thing in the world, but yeah, everything else about it fits the criteria. I think. Yeah, it definitely yeah. has that that toy factor, that novelty that like Camel Up had and Colt Express had the last two years. So, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that one either. Wouldn't be my pick, but... Cool. So it sounds like, I mean, everyone's in agreement that Karuba should probably be up there somewhere, if not the winner. I think so. It's good. We like Karuba. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Kennerspiel. So this is the Connoisseurs game. It tends to be a little bit heavier um, in terms of longer playtime, a little bit more complex, a little less family-friendly, takes a little bit more to get into. And looking at last year's uh, Broom Service one, uh, and it won out over Elysium and Orleone. Looking at the year before that, we had games like Istanbul, Concordia, and Dan's favorite, Rococo. Oh, it's so good. So is Concordia. Yeah. I don't know how Concordia Istanbul is good won too. that year. That's just well, shocker. So that's kind of what we're, we're thinking about. So considering the nominees and who's winning, Dan, what are you thinking for KSDJ? This one's tough because, as you mentioned earlier, they toe the line between so many different like weights and things i i don't i don't even know this one's just kind of a toss-up i went first and foremost with isle of sky this was my second favorite game of last year i loved it um this is from alexander fister who again has quickly risen in the ranks in my designer uh list um just a really cool bidding system within it the market price setting and tile laying which i love so i went with that Seven Wonders Duel I added um, because this one again has been um, highly praised it's built off of a former Kennerspiel winner which may negate it but maybe they'll reward it for kind of encompassing that kind of spirit of its original namesake and translating that into a really neat two player experience so I went with that. And the last one was, this one was kind of, I didn't know where to go. I went, I don't really feel good about it, but I went with Pandemic Legacy because, I mean, the game is shot up to number one. So obviously people like this game. Obviously it's a good game. I've never played it, but everyone talks highly of it, rates it highly. I just think it's, it, it won the, the French uh, Experts Game of the Year. So I think it's got a chance. Um, but if I had to replace it, I would replace it with Mombasa because Mombasa is excellent, and that would be amazing if Alexander Fister had two games nominated. But um, honorable mentions, I put Time Stories, Grand Austria Hotel, and Mombasa. I, again, I like Mombasa and Isle of Sky are my two favorite out of that list, but I just kind of tried to think what what they may be looking for. Not necessarily what I'm looking for. There's nothing that says that a designer can have two games at one time. Do you think that that would factor into a jury's decision? Like, would they only pick one game from a designer? Do you think that they'd they'd do that? They'd put two of the same designer in there? If they were the same publisher, I think it would factor in. Maybe because they're different publishers, it's not that big of a deal. It would be, like I said, it'd be really cool. I'm not sure if that's ever happened before. Um, I'd have to go do my research and for the next trivia. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, think he's got two games that really fit the bill, though. I mean, I could see it. Yeah, you, I could see either of them. I think they're both excellent games. Yeah, uh, I'm very much in the same same boat, and we actually did do all these separately, so it's cool that we kind of came up with a very similar list. Um, I had Mombasa, which I think really is probably on the heavier side, even for KSDJ, but a game like Rococo or Concordia, I think it's well on par with that. Um, Isla Sky feels more like that Istanbul weight um, you know, something a little bit lighter, but still have has good decision making. And then Grand Austria Hotel fits in there. 
um, in the mix as well. So those are my three games. I would really like Mombasa. I think that that's my favorite of the mix. Um, Seven Wonders Duel is an interesting pick on your part, Dan, only because I think only like Targi is the only other two-player game. Like they're just not picked very often. Patrick but I do was think honorable mention last year. Yeah, um, Seven Wonders Duel is a great game, though. You know, I think that it's well deserving. Um, I just don't know. It seems like two-player games are a little bit tougher to make their way in. And Pandemic Legacy, although I love the game, just doesn't feel like a fit. And I don't know if that's because they're typically more Eurocentric games that are chosen for this, but I don't know. It just it just seems weird to me. Um, not that it's a bad pick at all. I just I always just associate it with Euro games, which probably is a fallacy, but that tends to be the trend. Um, so I I'd put my vote for Mombasa, but I don't know that that would actually win. That'd just be the one that I would pick. See, I haven't played Mombasa, but it, to me, maybe is a little bit too heavy if you look at, like, what they've been picking lately. But, um, I don't know. I think Isle of Sky is probably my top choice. That was the only, almost the only one I could even think of for this year. I haven't played a lot of the newer, like, I don't know, games that would be eligible for this year. So I feel a little bit out of it on this one, but I think Isla Sky works, you know, it's, it's an interesting concept and the design flows really well. It's pretty easy to teach it. It's a good one, but it's a little bit too heavy for spiel. So it makes sense that, that, that could get the Kenner spiel. What else did I put? <laughs> oh, I put Grand Austria Hotel, but I, I think that one might be a little bit too, too much. Yeah. Yeah. I, w- I love that game, and I would want it to win, but I think maybe just, like, the downtime of it, kind of, I have that in the back of my mind that it's just not as functionality as part of the design, and, like, that downtime <laughs> seems dysfunctional. Yeah. They started playing it, and they're still playing the same game uh, for, the, for the judging. Yeah, so, so I, I hope it's Eyeless Guy, because I think that game is brilliant. I really like it a lot. All right, so that is what we're thinking in terms of Spiel des Jahres, Kenner Spiel des Jahres. On probably next news episode, you know, the whatever episode comes out right after the nominees, we will chat more about them and see if we were correct and obviously then pick from the nominees that are chosen. But for now, let's sit with those. Be sure to head on over to the Guild. Let us know what you think. If you played some other cool games, they have a tendency, this jury, to blindside us with one or two games whether in the nominees or the recommendations that we just haven't paid any attention to. So uh, I'll be excited to see what the surprises are this year. Moving forward, we're going to round out the show with a listener question. And, you know, this is something that we've done before, but to throw one in on the episode here is new. So it's only fitting that we choose a question from our number one fan, Mr. Todd K. And he asks, what is the main reason your interest in a game which you initially loved wanes and he asks about things like balance issues or game length or specific player count whether the game was called to the new or not so tiff let's go ahead and start with you a game that you loved initially what are the factors that play into you not loving that game so much as time goes on oh todd that's not really a concern for me because i don't play a game a second time i just play it the <laughs> once and if i love it, I it the first time question <laughs> answered I love it forever. So no, I, uh, lately that's how I'm feeling. It's gotten bad this year for not replaying things. But I will say that the the thing that most turns me off after I've played a game a couple of times is just kind of the sameness of it. So if I figure out a strategy that, that works for me and I like to use and wins most of the time, I, I don't deviate from what wins and then it gets boring to me. So that's probably doesn't have that replayability something to vary it up some player powers or super big amounts of randomness like to to vary it i get bored of it i was going to ask if you are the kind of player who intentionally changes your strategy just to try it even if you know it won't work i mean i've done that before i just don't i'm like a safe bet kind of a person (laughs) So I uh, I don't do that very often. I, if I find something that works, I usually stick with it. That's fair. Which maybe isn't so smart. Dan, any thoughts on uh, you're you're a guy who not loses interest, but you know you move on from games pretty rapidly. Like you you keep up with the trends. So what kind of things factor into that for you? 
I don't know that I keep up the trends. I just kind of know what I'm looking for in a game, and if a game doesn't really satisfy that in the first play or two, then I'm I'm okay to get rid of it because you know what? There's 75 other games coming out that that same year, kind of thing. Uh, that's the mindset I've kind of taken lately. If if I had to answer this question with kind of recent experience, I think game length and player downtime has been the biggest thing for me. Like we, let's take Grand Austria Hotel for instance. Like I love the game mechanically. I love everything about it, the comboing, the dice selection, everything like that. That downtime, which then leads into the overall game length, is just brutal. It's just absolutely brutal and I yeah, it just it really kind of kicked it down a notch, not too far because I th- still think it's a great game, but as we talked before, like for that to kind of get through the cracks like that downtime issue just is ridiculous and i i mean if you look at every review on like bgg like downtime is like the one thing that's mentioned consistently which is kind of funny to see in a game and especially in an industry where um objectivity and opinion is just so rampant it's just funny to see something consistently said this is horrible but again game length i think and i don't know that this really affects whether or not I like the game, I think it's affecting how often I get to play it more so than anything, which could be considered, I guess, waning in a, in a certain sense. But yeah, I, if, if a game's going to take three to three to four hours, it's, I got to be in the mood for it. It's just one of those things I got to get the mindset to it. Um, I played a game recently of uh, Viticulture, which I like that game actually. It's probably it's my favorite Stonemeyer game. I, I think it's a it's a pretty solid game, and I like it. But we played five players, and it took three plus hours, and I was just like, oh my god, like I could have I could have grown real grapes in the time it took us <laughs> to play that game. <laughs> so, and that that's not that's not necessarily the game. I don't think. I think it was a combination of the players and interruptions and things like that. But that really kind of. I don't know. It, it affects my, my thoughts on certain games at, at times, the, the, the downtime and the length. Have you guys encountered anything of late? I mean, we're very selective players as is, but um, have you encountered anything where balance issues really stood out and kind of in a, in a game that maybe you had only played a few times at first and now the more that you've played it, you're like, hey, this actually isn't that great. Anything like that stand out? Not balance issues over time. I mean, if I notice a balance issue in a game the first time, then I'm probably not going to play it the second time is how that goes. So yeah. I I don't know if I, I've ever played a game so many times that like some very subtle balance issue came up and I was like, oh, that sucks. I mean, I guess maybe some with some Lords of Waterdeep because I play that like it's my job so there's a little bit of that with some of the lords but you should get a new job (laughs) talk to dan patrice (laughs) (laughs) he invites me to a game like we finish a game and there's an invite right there and i can't say no i mean i have to be playing something i feel like a real slacker right now so if it's gonna be lords of Waterdeep, that's fine but yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I've noticed balance coming out after repeated plays. Usually if there's a, a balance problem that's going to cause me not to like a game, I can see it on the first play. We recently, I recently acquired the um, latest Ashes Rise of the Phoenix Born expansions. They came out with two new pre-con decks. So Kel and I were playing them um, and she really likes this one Phoenix Born. So she was playing the, that girl who was raised as a boy, so I don't know what pronoun to use. Um, that individual I was playing as the other guy, and we played a couple games, and the decks just clearly weren't matched for each other, pre-constructed. I mean, they just weren't they weren't on equal footing, but they weren't necessarily meant to be. And I noticed her interest kind of waning because she was having trouble winning. Um, not that she feels like she has to win, but, you know, after a few games of trying different things and not being successful, it can feel like you're beating your head against the wall. So... That actually pushed me to do some deck building to tweak them a little bit, make them a little bit more even. Um, so that was something that I try to be mindful of when I play games with people. Is um, I, I mean, I tend to like games and continue to like games. I'm I'm relatively easy to please, but if I notice people having trouble, I try to you know sometimes accommodate the play or, or accommodate the game state 
to help people stay interested because it can be tough sometimes. Um, one of the games that stands out that I can think of that I noticed a significant problem after I played some more and we talked about this, I think it was when like Tiff and I were on an episode by ourselves was Birds of a Feather. The first game I really enjoyed it, but after like the fourth or fifth game, I noticed some issues with the game state ending the same every time and really be being card draw dependent. And um, that just wasn't that exciting, you know, and that's that's my love for it waned very quickly after playing it. Dan, one of the games that I just thought about was there were some issues with Oregon, right? After like you played it once and we were into it. And then that second game or third game, you noticed that maybe it was a little too card draw dependent. Yeah, I would say Oregon was probably the most recent example of it. Like I played it with you and then I was like, okay, I see. I see what people are talking about. This is interesting. Um, a bit card draw, draw dependent, but, you know, I guess I can get over that. And then the second time we played it, I know our brother Mike just had a miserable time, which that could have affected it in a way because playing with Mike when he's on one of those this game sucks tears is really kind of irritating and draws the whole you know table down yeah but yeah the second playthrough I was just like eh like it didn't really it wasn't that amazing yeah not not as uh exciting as maybe you were hoping for yeah um, any other thoughts on, on this question? I think this is a cool question, and we'll have to throw this one into the guild as well and, and see what other people are thinking. But any other thoughts before we close out? Well, Tiff, what I mean, I guess you've talked about it before, but I know Oregon was a big one for you. Or not Oregon, Orleans was a big one for you. Oh, something that I liked when I first played it, and then it went away, like I changed my and mind about it. it. And then you despised it like, <laughs> immediately. <laughs> like yeah. It was a complete 180. Yeah, I don't know. I think with that game, it was, I don't even know how to describe it. It felt like no matter what I tried, nothing was successful. It was just too, I don't know. There were too many paths to victory, possibly. I don't even know how to describe it. It just felt, I I, I never, it never quite clicked with me. The first time I played it, I was able to say, oh, there are some neat things here that I like, but I'm not 100% certain on exactly what to do to get to that winning point. And and each time I played it, I'm like, I'm not really sure what I'm doing wrong or what I'm not getting about this, but it never, ever did click. And there, I don't know, there's no word for that, <laughs> but it just didn't, it didn't work for me. I don't know how to describe it. It made me sleepy after playing it a couple of times. That's a bad sign, <laughs> might right? Want to check your drink. <laughs> you might have a Eurogame narcolepsy. Yeah, I don't know. It just it just didn't it didn't do it for me. I don't know how else to put it. It just something about that game made it made I felt like it was impossible for me to win it and that turns me off. Yeah. And I think that another thing that could play in here, one, not one of the examples that Todd gave, but I mean that we talk about, and maybe this folds into Cult of the New, but, you know, a little bit of that hype train, mm. not that we ride it too hard at times, but, you know, you get a you get a new game, it's shiny, you rip off the plastic, you play it once, you're excited that you have a new game. I know I do this, like I get very attached to the games that I buy. Yeah. And then I'm like, uh, a couple plays in, I'm like, man, maybe that was just like new game excitement. Yeah. Man, maybe Dan was right. <laughs> well that's never true <laughs> that yeah that's no. never but, you know, a thought that i have but. i i kind of experienced that with android mainframe where i was like cool android game shiny and new abstract looks like i would like it everything about it made sense took the plastic off played it once and was like okay not so bad i'm holding on to a thread i i, I think i like it i play it again and i play it again and i play it again i'm like you know what i don't think i actually do like this game Right. I initially liked it, but I don't think I actually like it. Yeah, and I think that that definitely plays into my feelings on Orleone and a lot of different games that when they're super duper hyped, I'm like, yeah, I should like this. Everybody that I know likes this. Everybody's buying this. Everybody's talking about it. So like when I play it and I'm not 100% on it, I'm like, oh, I must be wrong. (laughs) I suffer from crippling self-doubt that makes me talk myself into loving a game the first time. And then I slowly accept that I really don't like things. So that happens. Well, let so me, just denial yeah. plays into it. Yeah. Well, let me present 
the opposite question. So what is the main reason your interest in a game increases? A game you initially did not like or maybe weren't in love with, but then started to enjoy it more. Do you guys have examples of that? A lot of times that is group dependence. True. Like, like there'll be times where I play something and there'll be someone miserable at the table or someone's just not into it or frustrated or distracted. And that will just bring down a game so quick. And I, if I get a chance to play it again with a more enthusiastic group, it's like a whole different game. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a huge piece. And that, that touches on like when you said that Mike didn't like Oregon and that might have played into it the same way when when Mike in particular gets into a game it's like oh wow cool this is a great game or when kel and i can really have a good experience with a two-player game we sit down and we both really have a good time even though one of us has to lose because that's always the big deal breaker is one of us gets pissy when we lose uh you know that that's a sign of like oh cool you know let's try this again and i find that it doesn't have to be winning but success for me just succeeding in whatever my goal is for the game across multiple plays is what gets me to kind of really endear a game. Something like Hyperborea, even though nobody and their brother likes Hyperborea that much, but I kind of love it, is because the bag building is satisfying and the gameplay, even when I lose, I feel like I'm making progress and that I'm working and that I'm being, you know, efficient and that success, even in the face of potential loss or failure, is just gratifying and that that kind of feeling keeps me coming back and helps me to really form a good bond with a game so how about you dan you got things like that yeah i would just kind of build off what matt said and what you said tiff i think for me uh i've kind of really mellowed i don't know if it's just the i'm a father now i don't know what it is but i've really mellowed in my oh the baby softened him it did it did i'm like a big marshmallow now and dan's heart grew <laughs> three sizes Everyone play Dan in games quick. He's a pushover. Uh, it's not that I'm a pushover. I will always play to win. But if I don't win, I don't get as fussy about it. Be, um, but for me, like, my interest in a game will be retained if I enjoyed the experience of playing with that game. Obviously, this is going to pertain more to, like, the Eurocentric games that I like because I love to explore the different systems because the games I really enjoy have about 95 inner working pieces and just kind of seeing how, you know, cog a spins cog B to then turn cog C like that for me is the gratifying piece. Winning is like the icing on the cake. But if I like sit there and this kind of builds on like the downtime issue, if I can sit there and really kind of puzzle out what I want to puzzle out and enjoy that part of it, that kind of, that mental exercise, because I like to break a mental sweat. Ladies. Ladies. Um, that That's what really kind of gets my my juices flowing, because I, I like that. You know, like I said, winning is, is nice, and I'll always play to win, and I'll always play competitively, even when I don't like a game. But I find that my interest in continuing to play a game uh, all has to do with kind of how the, the inner workings of the systems and the mechanisms capture me. And I think player count is something interesting too, because as Tiff meant group group dependent, but I think group dependent slash how many players is really important with certain games because there are games that I just detest at two or shouldn't be played at two, even though they put it on the box, publishers. And then there's, you know, those games play really well at four or five, but it's hard to get four or five. So it's it's things like that. So kind of getting the perfect mix of all that is tough. Yeah. And I mean, I think of a game in particular, like one for you, I know that you were interested by the mechanisms and things about um, time stories and, and that definitely drew you into it. I personally attribute, you know, my love of that game partially to that's the success of when we played Asylum, me, you and Kel. And it was, I think it was a really successful social play. Like we, we played well and we had fun together. And I think that something about that drew me into Marcy Case. And, he, and Marcy Case was a little more fractured. We had a month in between our plays. We didn't do as well. And I, I think that might factor into a little bit of why it wasn't as exciting for us. I mean, part of it has to do with the design of it. But, you know, something to do with that that perfect play. Asylum really was, I felt, just one of those like a plus gaming experiences i i don't have any problems with you know i liked the the three person the player count i liked the way that we played the way that we worked well together 
And I, you know, I think that that may have something to do with why, you know, it really kind of topped your charts because that that experience could have gone south pretty easily, I think, with the wrong player count or the wrong group. No, it definitely could have. And that's kind of why I've been, I'm not going to say like Marcy Case was a letdown, but Asylum was just so good. Yeah, yeah. And then Marcy Case was not as good. No, I mean, out of two, it was second. So So. I can't wait to play Prophecy. (laughs) So yeah, cool. Thank you, Todd, for the question. If anybody else wants to leave us a question, they can do so on any of our wonderful social media places like Facebook by searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers. Shoot your questions or comments over to podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. We will revitalize the questions thread on BGG Guild number 2077. We have some some work to do over there because we also have our tagline contest thread that we are participating in and uh, all kinds of conversations at that guild. Feel free to ask us for eight geek gold for a tiny Meeple Shield micro badge uh, and make sure that you subscribe and things like that so that you know when we're chatting. You can find us on places like Instagram using hashtag nonsensical gamers. Feel free to use that one. Uh, if you enjoy the show, you like the content, we appreciate reviews on iTunes or Google Play, places like that that help our show get noticed and help us get the feedback that we need to make this show better. The best place to find us, though, is on Twitter. So, Tiff, if they want to chat with you, how do they do that? I'm at ineptgamer. And Dan, if they want to chat with you or send you an entry to the tagline contest, how do they do that? At League Nonsense or at Scandalous underscore Nad. You can find me at Cinnamon Buns, spelled phonetically. Thank you all for joining us for episode 45. We will chat with you next time for a little bit of news. Take care. Toodles. Bye. 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 Thank you.